You're listening to AI Impressions with hosts Kate Dudzik, Eric Yensu, and John Diltz, a podcast for the curious, where we explore the spaces between ones and zeros. Hello, lovely humans, and welcome to another episode of AI Impressions. I am your host today for Cognitive Kate's Corner, Kate Dudzik. Normally, our little trio loves to talk as a group about all things artificial intelligence, but as you know, or hopefully will soon know, our shorts are an area where we can expand upon some of the topics that we discuss in one of our group podcasts or on something that's fundamental to the field that we find important or want to take a little bit of extra time to go over with you. So today, I will be talking about something that is absolutely key in cognitive science and artificial intelligence design. It's a huge part of my everyday life. It's a part of everything that I've done for the last nearly 10 years, and it is foundational to the success of any product or any design that I've ever created. Today, we will be talking about levels of analysis. And in a lot of ways, I think you'll recognize some of the content as being levels of perspective in a way, or levels of various things that exist in the world and what makes up each level makes up the whole. It's very fractal, it's very natural and biological. And I think that's a really great place for us to start. So taking a pause and returning back to our artificial intelligence lens here, I think this is a really beneficial place to be sitting in because we can look at how we as human beings and individuals experience the physical realm of our day-to-day reality outside of technology. So when you wake up in the morning and your body is just getting started, you're feeling the texture of your sheets, you're, you're feeling the stretch in your limbs, you're opening your eyes to hopefully a bright and safe space, and you're feeling all of these physiological components as your brain begins to slowly but surely wake up in the morning. You haven't yet touched technology, and your existence is in what I will call for the purposes of this, this kind of talk, the offline world. You're in the physical realm. You're in your physical reality. And this is distinct from your online reality where you go and you transport your mind to a different way of thinking about things, a different way of presenting yourself or feeling like yourself. Because that feeling like yourself online is not going to be the same as quite literally feeling like yourself offline. When we kind of go through these these different examples of levels, our goal is to look at things as they are, online and offline, in context-dependent situations like dating, playing video games, or even scrolling through social media. And in each situation, there will always be levels to analyze as they make up all things that exist. For example, we have different types of digital technologies and spaces, each with their own point of access, limitations, potential dangers, and benefits. There's more to consider 
when talking about new age media than just on and off switches or buttons, you know, more than social media or even video games or games we play, there's hardware itself. So from pressing keys on a keyboard to screen properties, operating systems, the constraints of them, there's software features, including layout, content, purpose design, and, and so on. The way we interact with the physical properties of technology, the way we think or create habits around the purpose for software and app use, and the various ways digital media and technologies change us are key to understanding our relationship. They can even modify things like our brain structure, our behavior, our habits, our body responses. Think, for example, of phantom vibrations. So one of the key symptoms of technology addiction, especially phone addiction, is the idea of a phantom vibration. And this is where you feel uh, your phone going off or getting a text message and you check and nothing has actually happened, but you can swear that you felt that phone vibrate in your pocket and you got a text. That's what a phantom vibration is. And many, many people get these. In addition to us as individuals and digital technology, the world outside of ourselves also requires attention because the people, culture, and places we interact with on a regular basis shape us. They slowly but surely modify who and how we are or how we interact with various things. Introducing levels isn't intended to make this a more complex or academic endeavor. It's a framework that we use in cognitive science, especially in engineering principles, to make looking at multidimensional complex systems more clear and defined. It organizes different tiers of the same thing into their own respective categories per se to enable us to better modify what we're doing to improve upon the level below and to end up with a better system overall. In many ways, this enables us to pinpoint where an interaction or module is that we need to focus on rest and potentially interactions between levels and how those bridges need to be defined. So, as you may imagine, levels are not unique to digital technology or even product engineering and design. They're found within nature, as we mentioned before, and they're found within us. The idea that people are symbol processing systems, as we mentioned in episode three, has been a grounding part of cognitive studies as we operate like this in many ways. We use language exchange in conversation, trading words with meaningful thoughts attached while existing within organic fleshy bodies that use inputs and outputs inside and outside of ourselves to ensure that we process energy, that we generally operate well, that we survive the environment. Minsky aptly bridged the connection between us and computers, creating a level classification metaphor inspired by computational systems to better understand and discuss the human psychological system. In a more in-depth and less metaphorical capacity, Newell, Alan Newell, guided us through Unified Theories of Cognition. It's a book where he introduced connections across disciplines of science to create a cohesive picture of the sheer complexity that is cognitive system level specifically. In this book, he introduces the time scale of human action, 
composed of what he calls bands, a collection of system components existing at a certain level. Now, each band builds upon one another and communicates to the others, even across multiple levels, in order for the full human system, basically us, to produce cognition, or what we refer to as cognition. It's more like a sphere of connect the dots than an ordered sequence of events, as there can be top-down, bottom-up, uh, bridging communications, which we will get into and define later. Each band can communicate or receive messages from another in different situa situationally dependent ways. Bridging theories have subsequently emerged explaining how bands interact. And this is a really important area of study because it's not enough to just dive deep into one domain. It doesn't explain the whole system. And when I say this, I mean neuroscience as a field is incredibly valuable. It's so important to us, how we understand humanity, how we treat many diseases, or how we improve psychopharmacology. It is such a key aspect of science and understanding cognition itself. That being said, it's important to also have fields that work in tandem with neuroscience, such as cognitive linguistics, where sometimes neuroscientific methodologies are applied to various linguistics questions pertaining to potentially the psychology of language or better understanding how language interacts with the brain or the human system and so on. It's important for us to not only do domain-specific research where we dive deep into various areas of expertise, but also multidisciplinary research where we bridge across multiple disciplines and learn from what we've done in certain areas and apply those same lessons to other ones and see if they are beneficial or they're not, which either way can provide us with really valuable answers. This, of course, is a guiding value of cognitive science and why it's such a critical field to begin with. Nonetheless, internal to the human system, there is, according to Newell, the biological band, psychological band, rational band, while external to us exists the social band and environment, then higher bands above such as historical and evolutionary levels. Of course, some of these are more within our control than others. The concept of bands and levels was put into practice by cognitive scientists in the areas of computational modeling, cognitive architectures, cognitive modeling, and shout out to my friend John Burkhart, behavioral economics, which we will dive more into another time. For the time being, focusing on understanding system levels, our focus is that we are complicated systems that have a lot of intricate moving parts happening a lot all over the place and often doing very specific things to make us function and make cognition happen at the same time. System levels that we use to define these practices and system levels that we use to define the areas in which these operations occur throughout the human system are as follows. Biological, an action that is neuronal, cellular, organelle, nervous systems, hormonal, for example, skin, neurons firing, cortisol being released, your ghrelin and Lipton systems. Then we have resting slightly above 
cognitive mechanisms. It includes microstrategy action and behavior, lower level cognitive functioning, for example, subconscious object detection or parsing something without consciously registering that we've processed something. Of that, we have the psychological, a higher level cognitive functioning and generative structures such as heuristic application in contextually bound environments. Then we have thought, which is what Newell had called rational. So this band or this level is accessible internal processes and information that can be tangible to us. For example, thinking about what your friend said to you and what best to say in response or what you learned recently uh, listening to a podcast. If we take these levels and return to digital technology, we can apply the same form of analysis to the tools that we use and the way that we use them. The first point of exposure, much like the biological level, is going to be the hardware level, existing as a physical tool that provides the foundation. It is the access to the digital, digital components we wish to engage with. The, this physical level, it's a tangible level. It's a point of access for users, such as a laptop itself, the physical metal or plastic combination of molecular items to create this foundation that you open up in order to get somewhere. This is the physical side of that laptop. Or as we return to the human system, the physical side being your actual brain and body. It is a necessary piece of technology required to access the environment where a task can be performed. In non-digital technology, Hardware can be considered many things, from a fork that you use to eat your dinner to a key that lets you inside a door. The hardware level of a tool is innately linked to the foundation of why it was designed in the first place and how it was created to be used with that specific purpose in mind. As critical as the foundation level is, it's been noted by engineering disciplines through to the digital humanities that human technology interactions cannot be studied at this level alone. It's only a piece of the puzzle. So returning back to our domain specific knowledge, it's really important to understand this hardware level, the foundation level of a tool or product, but it needs to be studied in conjunction with knowledge that we gain from other levels of study and other levels of analysis. The foundational level is an entry point for a task or goal to be completed, which means that from both the design and user perspective, it stands alone from the task itself. It is a facilitator and required element for completion, but it's not the goal. It can be associated and related with things such as the original purpose, as well as reappropriated for multiple and sometimes even alternate uses while engineering different products for use, given how likely it is that many will look to stretch the limits of what is considered possible with your product. Humans are creative, innovative, and brilliant creatures that exist. It is highly likely that if you design something and put it out into the world, there is a user that exists that will take that product and modify it or evolve it beyond the use case that you first imagined when you put it out into the universe. 
The application level is the space where we analyze how technologies are applied by users and subsequently appropriated rather than their foundations in computer code or in their physical use traits like buttons and screens. And finally, the third level is one that is deeply guided by current research in multidisciplinary fields, including cognitive science and the digital humanities. I like to call this the immersion level. And at the immersion level, we look beyond a single user towards the bigger picture at how digital new media tools and technology have impacted us at a larger scale. Now, this is a critical level as we study how culture, society, and even humanity has been changed by new advances or uses in online, electronic, or otherwise artificial intelligence-based products and softwares, as well as technological entities and spaces. This level also gives us a lens into how group behavior in turn changes digital technologies, creating collective purposes across a group and meaning for advances in the areas that had originally alternate purposes. What I mean by this is that I don't think anyone intended for Facebook to turn into what it was today. When you look back at the origins of what it was when it was first developed, it was that old game thing. And as much as I don't want to bring up meta in this conversation, I do think it's a good common example for the fact that it's named a singular entity and it was defined as the same space for a time. But the way it was used and the way it was thought of and how people interacted with this product and space changed the product itself because it changed the meaning of the space, it changed how people chose to use it. And then subsequently the space was evolved by the developers and designers to accommodate and better support the actual behavior that was going on. And once again, I wish this was a more moral example but there are emergent properties of economics or societal discourse that can happen in mmos or online gaming communities and spaces where people can innovate and produce these roles as characters or players that weren't previously accommodated by the game space designers and of course, uh, oftentimes the, the game makers will look at these emergent properties of social discourse and then find means to profit off of them without accommodating the players that had previously innovated them. But, you know, that's that's a part of them maintaining their space. So, I mean, I can find good and bad on both sides, I, I suppose. Um, moving on, finally, we have the directionality of signals across these levels. So as we kind of walk through these, these metaphors and not really metaphors, we have the directionality of the way they communicate. So in cognitive science, we like to refer to this as bottom up and top down. When a cognitive process is referred to as bottom up, the information is being passed from the lower levels and processes that occur there where answers quote unquote are found and they're pushed up to higher levels. So I want you to imagine stubbing your toe again on the coffee table 
and how the pain signals occur ever so slightly before what happened to cause the pain registers in our conscious mind. So before you realize, oh, I stubbed my toe, fun, you'll be feeling that awful pain. And it's very, very close. I mean, our our bodies are incredible and they process things extremely fast. But, sorry, that's my uh, text tone going off on the phone. But when you stub your toe, that, that pain signal occurs just a fraction of a second before you're able to register it as, oh shit, I stubbed my toe. Now, top down is when, as uh, comedian Aparna Nancharla would say, the anxiety improv group in our mind takes a one-word one suggestion to spin countless unfortunate and uncomfortable situations for us. An anxious thought can ripple through from our conscious mind to our bodies, creating a cortisol response. You know, you get the sweats and clammy hands, accompanied by heart palpitations and this awful electric feeling in your stomach. The thought originated in our brains. It, it originated in our minds. It wasn't real. Then it became real, impacting our body. Our body took it as a true threat that may exist and reacted accordingly. It did what it was supposed to do. Understanding directionality of signals not only helps us to better navigate the stages of cognitive processes across human experiences, but it helps guide our own autonomy in managing our own bodies. Furthermore, when you're doing artificial intelligence design or even AI work, it's extremely beneficial to understand each one of these levels and how they're meant to be implemented or how they need to be implemented as well as communicate between each other within any system you create. Hopefully this has helped you better understand system levels. I wanna thank you for being with me here today. This has been another short for AI Impressions and I have been your host, Kate Dudzik. Thanks again, see you next time.